Welcome to the Blab Lab, a twice monthly podcast from the reporters of EcoRI News, where we unpack the critical environmental issues facing southern New England. I'm reporter Colleen Cronin, and today I'm here with senior reporter, emphasis on senior, Frank Carini. Hi, Frank. President, I hope I can make it through the through the whole thing without dropping dead. You're not that old. You're not that old. I'm here with Frank today to talk about a story he wrote about the decline of enforcement since one of its most proactive directors, Louise Sturphy, was fired in the mid-1990s. Frank, can you start off by talking about what DEM is for anyone listening who might not know? Well, the acronym stands for the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management, and it's charged with protecting Rhode Island's open space, protecting Rhode Island's environment, although it doesn't name, use that in the name. It used to be in the 70s, the Rhode Island Department of Natural Resources, something like that. They changed it and put management in, which tells you how they view view the environment. And who is Louise Durfee, and, and what did she do at DEM? Louise Durfee was appointed by Governor Sunland, in 1991, the Senate confirmed her as the director of DEM. And she was there from 91 to 94, was fired in 94 because she disagreed with the governor on budgetary needs. The DEM needed more staff, more funding for enforcement, more funding to do its job. He asked her to resign. She said no. She got fired. And what was she, why did she feel like they needed more funding or what was she asking for? She was asking for enough people and enough budget to, to do its job. It's not just enforcement and like getting people, finding them after the fact or finding them or finding, citing them for doing something wrong. It's making sure they're in compliance and you have to go back and check. You just can't say, oh, you have to, here's your stormwater management plan, put this in, and then you just walk away and don't return for three years and keep checking on it, making sure they're in compliance. She needed staff and funding to do their job. I mean, before she got there, Save the Bay sent a letter, or wrote a letter and submitted it to the governor, a 16-page letter scathing about lack of enforcement from DEM, lack of resources, lack of staff. So she, she was the same year that Louise got started, and she made a bunch of changes. I mean, I've talked to former people that worked under her, that worked for the department then, and they have glowing reviews of her. I'm sure there are some people that don't, but I mean, for the most part, she was well-respected. She was fair, tough, and this is what the department needed to do to balance the needs of businesses with the protection of the environment. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the environment around her, the ask to resign and then the refusal of that and then the firing? You can protect the environment, enforce environmental regulations, and also have a healthy business environment, business atmosphere. And she was trying to, to do both. And people in power didn't like that. It was the first time, as Terry Gray mentioned, he's the current director, it was the first time that this really came to be. So then, two years after Louise was fired, the Kennedy Commission started, and that basically was festivus. It was just an airing of grievances. There was people that were in the hallways with flags, and there was bumper stickers on cars out front, like, DEM is out of control, because people didn't understand that you have to protect the environment. There's the Nature needs to be protected, and you know, they thought it was a front to their personal freedom or it was bad for business. And it became that thing which exists to this day, like environmental protection slash environmental enforcement are anti-business. And that's not that's not that's not true. So you, you ta- you're talking about companies that are operating illegally, violating these rules that they're supposed to be following in part because people aren't no one's enforcing them. People think it's DEM's fault. It's not. I don't look at it that way. 
when they write these stories, they're not given the resources to do their job. It's the governors and the general assemblies that have been doing this for decades. This isn't something new. I think the Louise Durfee was the exception to the rule for the most part because, as I said, Save the Bay made known in the late 80s that enforcement wasn't good enough. And then after she left in 97, the EPA, regional director for EPA Region 1, had to send a letter to the governor saying, you're not funding your agency well enough to enforce federal regulations and clean water, clean air. So it's, it's been an ongoing thing. It's because the people in power, the General Assembly members, I don't mean just the current ones, but going back to the 80s, and the governors, they don't put protecting the environment as a high priority at all. But the previous administration, the Raimondo administration, was, in my view, was all about the environment was there for people's to use, how much tourism dollars we can bring in, how much this means for money and businesses and jobs, and that's fine, but there's another part to it that just, you can't ignore it. It's been like that for decades, and it's, Louise tried to make a change, and she did a little bit, but she got fired. She wouldn't resign. I agree with Terry Gray, uh, the current director, talking about how times are changing, and there's more, and I agree with him, there's more people at the state house, you know, at senators and reps that are, that see the, to understand, are learning what DEM really does and what they need to do and the importance of protecting the environment. It's just going to take a while to change, and while it takes decades to change, we're making it worse for future generations and for the current. And you said, too, in the article that uh, DEM is also now, although maybe the sentiment is changing positively, there are fewer people working there now than there were when um, Louise Durfee was director. Yeah, her last year, there was 630 DEM employees. That was the all-time high since, well, at least since 1990. Now there's like 400, 401. The budget's more, but I don't know how that, I didn't look into inflation and how that, you know, that jives. But it's more than it was. The budget's more, but... You know, down like 230 employees. And, you know, Terry's trying, Terry Gray, the current director, is trying to get more people to be on the on the proactive side. What is Louise doing now? She lives in Tiverton. She's an attorney. She was a well-respected one. I don't. I know she's retired. Did she talk at all about the current state of DM and, and seeing any hope in it returning to what it was like when she was there? She was frustrated by it, but no, I, she spoke highly of Terry. Uh, Terry's been there for like 36 years, so he worked with a lot of the people that I spoke to that no longer are retired, no longer work there. They all had high praise for Terry, just like they did for Louise. It's just a matter of, is Terry going to be allowed to, you know, balance, like Louise wanted to do, the balance of the, you know, you shouldn't be attacking businesses and trying to put them out of business, but it should be enforcing laws fairly. Selective enforcement is BS. And it it happens all the time. I I don't necessarily blame DEM. Like the Rhode Island Recycled Metals, the state governments, the state always allowed that to happen, if you ask me. It wasn't DEM or CRMC. The city, it was more of can't pick on businesses. Like, we don't even send out press releases. Like, Massachusetts will send out when a business violates, send out a press release. Give everybody, give everybody a heads up that what happened. DEM doesn't do that. They do it for, like, if somebody's caught catching extra stripers, you know, and embarrass the individual, but they won't embarrass the business. Terry has mentioned that the one civil, one's criminal. I get it, but I don't know why. They're not both criminal then. I mean, we're polluting the waters the people are pulling the fish out of. They're getting, you know, they're getting press releases on them and, you know, embarrassed. And a lot of them are immigrants, speak English as a second language, feeding, trying to feed their families. And these other businesses are just, we don't, we don't care about the environment. We don't want to shave into our profits, so we'll pollute and we'll just drag it on forever and ever. An example I, I used in my story, and I think it makes sense, but again, I'm no politician or 
all that smart, but the Cardi Brothers subsidiary is, owns a quarry next to the Big River Management Area, and they've been basically operating without a Riptees permit, which is, you know, discharge permit for stormwaters for 16 years. And a lot of their stormwater, the gravel and sand and stuff flows into the Big River Management Area. So while they're fighting this and, you know, dragging their feet to put in the proper mechanisms to stop that uh, Cardi Brothers Corporation, the main corporation, is getting contracts to do road work in Rhode Island. Well, mm-hmm. they should be like, you You can get, you can be- go back doing road work once you fix your subsidiary's problem up here. It's polluting a, a conservation area. Once you fix that, then you can go back and get contracts for road work here. So you said that, you know, DM's trying to be more proactive about some of this stuff, but it's only so much in their control because of budget and staffing. Is there any sort of movement in the state house or from the governor or from local municipalities to try to change any of this or, or provide support? I think it's changing over time. It's, there's more people that have been elected. There's more people that have, you know, have seats up there that I think people in general realize the climate crisis, realize the importance of protecting the environment. Now, it's going to take generations for that to keep filtering its way up. But I, I do think change is coming. I think it's better than I was in here in the 90s, but it's better than when we first started in 2009. I think the environment is taking and climate crisis is on people's agendas more. I think there's more efforts to do something about protecting the environment and mitigating the climate crisis, but it's not really doing enough, but we're trying to, or at least more so than we used to. I'm curious if there's, you know, I was sitting in a RIPTA meeting uh, recently and they were talking about all the money that they're going to need to become a green agency. And I'm just curious if, you know, DEM has anything would need anything like that? And, and if there's any federal funding that they expect coming that might help them? I don't know if you know, if you have that on your radar at all. It's not just the funding, it's more, that's part of it, obviously, funding and staffing, but a part of it is too, is like giving DEM, giving them support from the state house. Support doesn't always necessarily mean, here's a bunch of money, it's just the support in general. And I think that's, it was lacking for most of DEM's existence, but I think people are, beginning to understand that what DEM does, how they do it, and the importance of it. It's not just they shouldn't be a chamber of commerce for business interests. Like I think the previous administration kind of was turning it into. So it's sort of like the Lewis's firing was sort of like reinforcing that there wasn't any support. And and so it's slowly over time trying to undo some of the damage from that. Would you say I, I'm just curious if that if the firing scared people, you know, like made them afraid not to ask for more money, made them afraid to... Yes. Former DEM people have said that. It was the whole point of... Louise firing was a start of it. They didn't like... The powers that be didn't like where she was trying to take the agency to be more balanced in terms of protection and, you know, business interests. So she was trying to manage that better, and they didn't like that. It scared them, so they fired her. And then on top of that, they had the Kennedy Commission created to let people vent of DEM. And suck the morale out of the room, and people doing that were, you know, as Kennedy, as I mentioned, Rep. Kennedy, he had his brother had buried 35 tons of asphalt shingles in his yard. Then Rep. Kennedy had sold the property without telling the new owners that they had all this contamination in the yard. Their father had been cited by DEM before, or during the time Kennedy Commission was started for filling wetlands. 
So it was all like, oh, you can't, it was to show them that enforcement is bad and trying to put them in their place. That's, the, I mean, obviously I wasn't here, but that's the message, message I got from talking to former staffers. And obviously they have an agenda, but I reached out to Kennedy multiple times for the stories I've done and he's never got back to me. But yeah, yeah that was the whole goal. That, I mean, that's how I read it. Then I, I did go to state archives and went through all the, you know, the news coverage back in the day there. They have it all. And a lot of it was from the Providence Journal and it was, they want to reshape the organization into what they wanted. Thank you so much, Frank, for talking about this today. This has been the Blab Lab, Ecorize Environmental News Podcast. We want to thank Roger Williams University and Professor Bernardo Moda for letting us use the podcast studio here. We also want to thank Vanessa Carlton, whose song Willow you hear at the beginning and the end of this podcast. If you guys have any questions or if this episode sparked any ideas for future stories or future episodes, please feel free to email me at Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N, at EcoRI.org. Until next time, you can read us at EcoRI.org. Well, now, now I'm all pissed off again. I didn't drop any <laughs> F-bombs. That's, that's progress. Shocking.